I want to let you know that uh, I'm going to share from the Word of God this morning, but before I do that, I, I want to share a little bit about uh, the trip that Grace and I took. Um, I'm just getting a note here. I'm sorry that I'm trying to read it. Uh, what, I've, what this note says is that the, the man that actually uh, led Chuck Birch to Christ is actually uh, here today with Chuck's family. And so we praise the Lord uh, for that because they're going to need uh, encouragement. They're going to need, again, to sense the Lord's presence in a very real way. So we ask that you continue to pray uh, for Chuck. I want to share with you a little bit about our uh, trip to Green Mountains. Again, Ray and Sid Johnston and my wife and I went there. Uh, I want to let you know that uh, Green Mountains, uh, the team all really live in the capital city there, uh, which is home to about 1.4 million uh, people. Uh, and you'll see uh, in a few minutes a few slides of the city. And, you know, like m most metropolitan areas, there's some good sections of town and there's some not so good sections of town. And uh, that's, that's normal. It's a, it's a pretty modern city, but it's, a, it's an old city, if that makes sense. And so uh, it's very interesting. I uh, also say that, uh, you know, you have uh, some modern companies there. Um, you know, just like in any, every, I think every city, every country that I've been in, uh, you have certain U.S. companies that seem to be everywhere. And uh, McDonald's is there selling their products. Um, and uh, you'll get to see that in a second. And I want to let you know as well that traffic is very interesting. I've been in a lot of cities uh, internationally. And... Uh, you know, that, that may not look that bad, but they, they're probably going about 40 at the time this picture was taken. Uh, they just, the, the missionaries say, the, the method is to stick out your nose and be bold. And uh, I can say that I was with them, and they adhere to that principle. <laughs> and I would say it is not for the faint of heart, uh, to say the least. Uh, so we need to pray for their safety and their protection. The team in Green Mountains consists of three couples that have a total of five uh, children. This is Dave and Deb Featherland, and their sons Samuel and Titus. They've been in Green Mountains a little over a year, and they're studying the language full-time. And uh, in, in a few months, they'll be putting Samuel and Titus into a daycare. And they've asked us to pray for that. The daycare is right around the corner from their apartment building. And actually, we stayed in their apartment while uh, we were there in the capital city. They've asked us to pray for Samuel and Titus because they'll be going to daycare in a place where the the national language is spoken, not English. And so it will be a challenge for them, but they feel like this is the right thing to do. But if you could pray for them, I know that they would appreciate that. The next slide shows Jim and Kathy Sapia and their three children, Hannah, uh, Callie, and, and Logan. They too, uh, Jim and Kathy, are in full-time language study. They've been in the country a little less than a year. Both of these couples will be in language study for two full years. It's a very difficult language. Uh, you'll see that it's uh, difficult to even read, to look at. And the next slide, you'll see it a little bit closer, but it, it's, it's difficult. And so they've asked us to pray specifically that we would, they would be able to grasp this language, understand it, and be able to share effectively the gospel of Christ with people there in Green Mountains. Then the next slide is a, is a couple, Jack and Diana uh, Stimmel. Jack is the team leader uh, for the team. He's also uh, a pastor of an international church there in the capital city. And, and actually, I have some exciting news about Jack and Diana. They'll be here in two weeks. Jack will be sharing with us on Sunday morning, and uh, so I look forward to that. And Jack will actually be here Saturday morning as well from 9 to noon to talk about Green Mountains, the ministry that's taking place there. 
And there's a sign-up sheet for that. Love to have you sign up for that. You'll hear a little more about it next week. But right through these doors, if you turn left on the information center, there's a sign-up sheet. If you put your name and tell us how many people are coming, uh, we want to provide breakfast uh, for you. And so please come. It'll be a phenomenal opportunity to hear what God is doing in a very interesting and unique and a new field uh, to the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So please sign up for that as you, as you leave. I want to tell you a little bit about our trip as well. Um, we arrived on Saturday uh, at the airport, and we were met there. Uh, unfortunately, our luggage arrived on Tuesday. Uh, I know that some of you were praying for that, and we appreciate it. I will tell you that the, the one piece of luggage that we really wanted, which is what had the Vacation Bible School stuff in it, it came that night, Saturday night. Uh, our four pieces of luggage that had all our personal belongings in it, we got on Tuesday. And uh, it was interesting. We wore some interesting things. We pledged never to show the pictures. <laughs> so probably Ray and Sid and Grace and I will be friends for the rest of our lives because we won't want to make one another mad. Ray and Sid uh, were invited on the trip specifically so that Ray could lead the team in worship every morning. And then also he and Sid uh, led the children through uh, really a vacation Bible school. And uh, you see them doing that. They're practicing some of the songs. In fact, I really need to say thank you to Connie, our children's pastor, and her team. Because the, the VBS that we had here this summer, they really packaged up and put in boxes and made it possible for Ray and Sid to share that same VBS with the five children that were there on the field. The kids had a phenomenal time. It was amazing. Uh, just to, for them to be taught in English, to hear the songs and to learn the songs, uh, to hear the lessons, to do crafts, all in English, it was phenomenal. You see the Sapia kids, and then you see Titus uh, as well. They had a, a great time. So if you see Connie or Michelle uh, or, uh, or Betsy uh, or Renata, say thank you to them, because they really made this ministry possible. I was asked to lead a teaching time every day, uh, every morning of the, of the uh, field forum, and I did that. And uh, also asked uh, us to talk about strategy and, and, and vision. One of the main things we did is as couples, Grace and I and Ray and Sid, we got together individually with each couple to, to really to pastor them, to encourage them, to challenge them uh, when necessary. It was, a, it was a, a wonderful time. And I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to go and to, to be with these couples. Uh, one of the things I talked about was giants in the land. I talked about uh, when the, the Israelites went to spy out the land and they found giants in the land. And, and I, I talked to the team about what are the giants that you feel like are in this land. And, and the one that came up very quickly and clearly was the Orthodox Church that's in that country. The, the main religion is Green Mountains Orthodox. 85% of the people would identify themselves as Orthodox. Um, if you're not part of the Orthodox Church, you're considered kind of an outsider, and really you're considered somewhat unpatriotic, to be honest. To enter the church, we went to the church so we could get some information about the 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 religion as well as the culture of the people. To enter that church, uh, women have to have their heads covered, so you see Grace and uh, Sid followed that uh, in order to get into, the, into the, the church. You know, it's really, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place of architecture, uh, absolutely. But unfortunately, for those involved, there's really no promise of forgiveness. There's really no hope. Uh, there's really no promise of uh, a new life or no talk of a relationship with Christ. There's a huge dependency on on uh, paying tribute to, to saints, to, to patriarchs, to priests, to, to simply praying and hoping, praying to a saint and hoping that you get what you want. There's very little, uh, there's no certainty, and there's really very little hope. 
uh, for the people that are part of that. Some good news is that young people are, are interested in the church. They're looking for more. And so our hope is that God will be able to use that desire among the young people to, uh, to, to draw them to himself where there is hope, where there is true value. I mentioned about 85% uh, of the people there follow the Orthodox Church. Uh, about 10% follow the religion of Islam. And there are some mosques there uh, in the city that, uh, that you can see. Um, it, it, it's interesting because this, this country, although it's 85% Orthodox, the missionaries feel like, and they, they spoke to us about the fact that they really feel like they're going to need to share the gospel just like missionaries in a Muslim country. The reason is because to leave that church is going to, could very well mean for the family uh, of the person who leaves it, they, they might lose their job, they might lose their status in society. And so it's a very difficult place. We need to pray that God would break down those barriers. I want to let you know as well that because of Green Mountain's location, it's really seen as a connecting point for the Middle East and for Asia, Middle East and Europe. And, and they're hoping, that the, the country of Green Mountains and the people there are hoping that that location, they can use it uh, to, to their advantage uh, economically and politically to play a key role in that, in that region. You know, the countryside is, is, is named appropriately Green Mountains. It's a beautiful place uh, inside the city and specifically outside the city. And they want to use the resources that they have uh, in, that, in that region. It was a privilege for us to go. Again, thank you for that opportunity. I want to let you know that Community Alliance Church has actually established a partnership with this team. You heard about that, I hope, and read about it in the bulletin uh, about a month or two ago. We've established three partnerships, and one of them is with that group. So you'll hear more about them. You'll see more of them. Uh, in the coming weeks and months. Again, Jack and Diana will be here in a couple weeks, and actually two of the other men will be in this area uh, in September, so we're hoping to get them here as well to speak. We've also developed partnerships, as many of you know, with the, the people in uh, the missionaries in the Dominican Republic. That'll, that's an ongoing uh, relationship that we have. And then we also ha have established a partnership with missionaries in Senegal. So you'll be hearing more about those partnerships and more about how you can be involved in the coming, in the coming days. Remember again, Jack and Diana will be here Saturday the 11th. So as you walk out those doors, sign up on your left, okay? One of the things that we talked about uh, with the team was this idea of how we as people, we want to please people. Any of you want to do that sometimes? Uh, and, and, and often that desire, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to please people, that's good to a point. But when we start to sort of gain our value from pleasing people, then obviously it's a problem. And what we talked about is often people don't have a, a good view of themselves, don't see themselves as valuable, and a lot of times that's why that need to please uh, comes out. And uh, that's what I want to talk about actually this morning is, is our value, uh, how we feel about ourselves. I want to talk about self-worth or self-esteem, our concept, if you will, our opinion of ourselves. There's a lot of things that influence that opinion of ourselves, right? Um, our relationship or lack of relationship with our parents, uh, the other people in our lives, kind of who we hang out with and the messages that we hear, um, our, our, our age, our, our culture, our worldview, you know, our life experience, our successes and failures, all of those things combine together to, to fo help us formulate a view of ourselves and, and a view of our value, our self-worth, if you will. Certainly at, when we're young, when we're Howie's age, and a little older. Parents are the, the, the key influencer on, on how we look at ourselves. Really, every statistic, every study has shown that 
that, that the, for a child, the most important thing is the relationship or the lack of relationship they have with parents. How those parents talk to them, what they say, the messages they get are vitally important to how a child views themselves and how they view their self-worth. Unfortunately, when they don't get what they need, that can lead to problems later in life because they'll continue to search for that worth, for that value, and sometimes in unhealthy ways. Certainly the message that we receive from our culture today uh, can have a large impact on who we are, our opinion of ourselves specifically. You know, in preparation for this sermon, I, I, I paid attention to ads, which I don't usually do, on television and on, uh, on the internet and in magazines. And here's what I discovered. There's a couple of recurring themes, usually, not all the time, but these are the predominant themes. They want to make us feel uncomfortable somehow. They want to make us feel inadequate somehow. They want to make us feel discontent somehow. And then, can you imagine, they have the solution for our problem. They, they make us feel that way, and then they provide a solution so that we'll feel content or comfortable or adequate in some way. What I found is really that a lot of times the advertising isn't about the product at all. It's how we'll feel if we have the product. That's the key that they focus in on. This is especially true for beauty products. Fascinating topic. Now, I will say that normally I don't pay a lot of attention to ads for beauty products. Although I do hope you like my hair. <laughs> a little too much laughter from you, Gressley. Um, but, but really, this, is a, this has become a major issue, actually, in, in this area of advertising. Because, I don't know if you're aware of it, but most pictures that we see on television and, and in print form and on the web, they are retouched in some way or another. They are enhanced digitally. And I want to show you just a, a real quick video, about 30 seconds, that'll show you what that looks like. And I just want to talk about it for a second. This is, this is what happens. amazing, isn't it? And I don't know if you noticed the two girls walking, you know, below the billboard looking up at it, but the idea is, so that's the, that's the goal. Well, the goal's impossible. I mean, you take a, a, an attractive woman, a handsome man, you, you put makeup on them, that's not good enough. Now we have to digitally enhance it, and I don't know if you noticed, you know, they make her neck thinner, taller, her eyes bigger. That's what happens often in the ads that we see, and clearly uh, those things can erode our self-worth. In fact, uh, there's actually a bill right now, a law that's trying to get passed that would make advertisers show on those kinds of billboards or any ad that the, the, the picture's been digitally enhanced because it's becoming such an issue. We are pursuing something that literally is impossible to attain. And that can erode uh, our sense of self-worth. When we look at those pictures, when we hear the ads and we, we see that we're inadequate, it begins to erode how we value ourselves. Sometimes we can begin to feel like, you know, if I just bought that product or if I looked 
like this, I would feel better about myself. I would feel worthwhile, worth more. Certainly our culture places a high value, right, on beauty and appearance and on stuff. It's one of the reasons why the stuff is up here. And we're going to talk about some of the stuff. Now, you know, have you ever heard the saying that the clothes make the man? I got news for you. No, they don't. I mean, I had a great suit. Happens to be mine. Um, some of you probably wish I was wearing it right now. It's a whole different topic. You know, I, I, I want to say that I think it's appropriate to have clothes that are, that are appropriate for the setting that you're in, for the event that you're going to. Absolutely. So I have a suit. I need it. I wear it. But the clothes don't make the man. That's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. You know, car, car dealers, and, and I really did want to bring a car in, but um, I figured then Denny would have to bring another motorcycle, and then it would be a boat, and, you know, they would be building a house back here, so I, I just, no. But car manufacturers, most of the ad money that they spend is targeted on men. And you know what they tell men? We need more speed, power. I didn't hear that. Performance, safety sometimes, comfort, luxury. We need it. We deserve it. And if we have it, we'll, we'll be more valuable. And so it's easy to look in a mirror and say, you know what, I don't know, I just don't feel, actually I look pretty good. You know, so, yeah. um, <laughs> I don't feel valuable. And so we can begin to think and I know that we, we think, oh, I'd never do that. But it happens every day. That's why advertisers advertise the way they do. You can look in the mirror and start to think, you know what, I, I just don't feel value. I don't, I don't know. And we, and we think, you know, if I had a new car, if I had a faster car, if I had a more luxurious car, yeah, yeah it would make me feel more valuable. And really, the lie is, it wouldn't just make me feel more valuable. I'd be more valuable. That's what we begin to think. And we begin to think, if I had that car, others would view me differently and I would view myself differently. I'd become more valuable. That's a lie. Just like the clothes don't make the man, the car doesn't make you any more valuable. In fact, it probably lowers your net worth, to be honest. Now, there's a long list of products that men buy that, that sort of give them this hope. Cars, okay, definitely. Trucks, okay, but, okay, I'll pick on the guitar because the clubs are mine. Um, you know, musical instruments, I said this in the first service, I don't know very many people that own one guitar. You ever found that? Okay, I, I've got two sons. One of them owns two guitars. The other one owns a guitar and drums. You know, musicians are like, hey, you always need one more. I mean, this one sounds good. Oh, the tone's different. I'm like, no, it isn't. Golf clubs. Again, sounds ridiculous, right? But every year, Golf club manufacturers, every year, come out with a driver that hits the ball further and straighter. There it is. That's the two things. I'm waiting for the time I can just stand up here and go like this, and the club will hit the ball for me. Because those of you that golf with me know that's exactly what I need, quite frankly. But farther and straighter. I mean, certainly I wouldn't want to be the person that hits the ball the shortest distance in the group that I play with all the time. You know, I wouldn't want to be embarrassed by pulling out a club that's seven years old and hitting that. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say that out loud, doesn't it? And it is ridiculous. But the truth is, we buy stuff every day 
that we don't need, that we can't afford. The truth is we hang out with people, sometimes we don't even like that much. We don't enjoy that much. We, we belong to groups and clubs that really aren't our favorite places, all so that people will look at us a little differently and really so that we can look at ourselves differently. It'll change, it, some, it, it somehow changes the impression we have of ourselves. Now here's the key. We can begin to f- believe this very important lie. We believe the lie that we're only valuable when we feel valuable. And so what happens is, if I don't feel valuable and I need something to make me feel valuable, well, I, I go and buy stuff. You know, if I'm a woman and I've got, be careful here, several outfits in the closet, but I don't feel valuable when I look in the mirror, I want to go buy another one. And then I feel valuable. Well, if, if, if that's what I'm basing things on, of course I want to go buy another one. Purses, I'm sure there are a few of you that have several purses, maybe expensive ones. Do you need another one? Maybe, maybe not. The men have answers for that. Remember the guitar and golf club discussion? And we don't have shoes up here because I don't think we had enough room to put them. So you can look in the mirror and say, you know what, I don't feel valuable. So I'm going to go buy this and now, oh yeah, now with this shoe, I feel valuable. I'm going to walk out the store with it. That's the wrong perspective. It's the wrong perspective. And that perspective can lead to to wrong priorities. Because if that's the perspective I have, then I'm going to spend my time, my effort, and my money buying this stuff that makes me feel valuable. I mean, why wouldn't I do that? It's the wrong perspective. It leads to wrong priorities. Now, I want to make something really clear. None of this stuff is bad. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a set of golf clubs. Having two in case you have a friend that doesn't have a set. <laughs> I only have one. Now, you know, really, having a guitar, no problem. If you need another one, if you really do have a different, you need a different sound for something, it's okay. I don't know how many suits you have, but if you need another one, go buy one. It's really not a problem. Outfits, cosmetics, purses, shoes. All right, you might have enough shoes, let's be honest. (laughs) Really, none of this stuff's the issue. Having it, buying it. If you need a new car, if you want one with performance, and you have the money to buy it, go buy it. If you want a truck, it's got a lot of power, it's got a towing package, that's fine. If you have the money to buy it. If you don't, it's a whole different topic, a whole different discussion. We may have that later. But the stuff isn't the issue. The issue is when I begin to tie my value to this stuff. When I feel valuable only when I have the stuff. Only when I feel like I look good in the stuff. Then that's a problem. That's a major issue. When I begin to, my perception of myself is tied to this stuff. And that's a problem. It's the wrong perspective. And, and I want to demonstrate really clearly that it's not about stuff because there can be some really good things that we do that we do because we're just trying to make ourselves feel valuable. You might volunteer at a, at a, on a community board for a nonprofit. You might work at a, at a, at a homeless shelter. You might donate money or time to, to help underprivileged children. All those things are great things, but if you're doing them, because that's what gives you value, then you've got the wrong perspective. How about this one? You might, you might not feel very valuable 
might, your self-worth is a little low. And the plan that you come up with is you're going you're gonna to volunteer your time at Community Alliance Church so that you can hear us say, wow, thanks. I don't know what we'd do without you. Well, the truth is, I don't know what we'd do without you. I mean, the, the ministry that God's called us to, the vision he's called us to accomplish takes volunteers to accomplish them. But if you're doing that so that you can feel valuable and that's where you get your value, you have the wrong perspective. And that's not the reason to volunteer. We don't want you to volunteer for that reason. Now, I'm going to tell you what the right perspective is in just a moment. But that's the wrong perspective. So those are really good things. Who would say volunteering at church is the wrong thing? It's easy to say, yeah, yeah, honey, you got too many pairs of shoes. Or, yeah, hey, bud, could you move uh, one of the 12 sets of golf clubs? <laughs> you know, we can maybe point to those and think they're the problem, but they aren't the problem. It's where we find our value that can be the problem. You know, I mentioned that one of the problems is our culture, right, puts a lot, of em- uh, a lot of emphasis on beauty, on how we look, on the stuff that we have. I want you to know that's not a new thing. Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. And you'll, we're going to look at a story about a prophet whose name was Samuel. That's why the book's called 1 Samuel. There's also one called 2 Samuel. Phenomenal book of the Bible. If you have an opportunity, I'd encourage you to read it. Samuel has an amazing life. He had an amazing walk with God. So he's a prophet of God, and God lets Samuel know that he's going to give him the privilege of anointing the next king. Okay? He's going to anoint the next king, 1 Samuel 16. God says, I want you to go to this man's house. The man has several sons. One of them is going to be king. The man's name was Jesse. And so he sends Samuel there, and he says, when you get there, I'm going to show you which, which person's the one that you're going to anoint. doesn't tell him ahead of time. Okay? So he goes, and here's the story. We're going to pick it up in verse 5 of 1 Samuel 16. They asked Samuel, have you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. That just means he, he prepared them ceremoniously so that ceremonially so he could, they could come to the sacrifice. And so now they come in. Samuel's there. They walk in and when they arrived, verse 6 says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now I'm certain as I read verse 6 that Eliab was a tall, probably good-looking, strong, strapping young man. And Samuel looks at him and thinks, well, this must be the guy. He thinks, wow, this, this has to be him. Surely, he says, this is the Lord's anointed. He judges him by his appearance, by what he looks like. So it's not new. This isn't something that started in 2000, folks. This has been here for thousands and thousands of years, judging people by their appearance. Certainly in our culture, it, it's become a main emphasis, but it happens. But, but God says something very important, very interesting in verse 7. He says, I've rejected him. He said, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And for us today, in our culture, the heart sort of is the center of our emotions and it's where we feel love. Uh, that's why you see hearts everywhere and, you know, people going like this and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, in Hebrew, when this was written, it had a different meaning. And I want to read a couple of authors' definitions to give you a feel for what this word heart, what does God really look at? 
Here's what it says. One of them says, it's a word that represents the person's core or ultimate intention, ultimate value, ultimate motivation. And another author says, it's the inner life that one lives before God and himself. It's the life unknown to others because it is hidden from them. It's the most fully developed, most far-reaching, most dynamic concept of the non-material man. What that means is it's the core of who we are. It's the essence of who we are. And God says, that's what I look at. I don't look at the outward. I look at the core of who you are. So the question that that led me to ask was, well, who am I? Who are you? It's a great question to ask. Thankfully, the Bible has an answer for that question. You're not left on your own to answer it. Scripture gives us the answer. If you pull out your sermon notes this morning, there's only one blank there. I made it easy for you. We're going to fill that in in just a moment. There are hundreds of verses in Scripture that talk about who you are in Christ, what your value is. And, and these are just a handful of them. And I wanted to print them up. I wanted to give them to you. I wanted you to see them. I want you to take them home with you. Look at some of the things it says. It says we're delivered. We're forgiven. We are God's child. We're raised up with Christ. We're redeemed. We are set free. Those are things that are true about you and true about me if you're a believer in Christ this morning. Notice that none of these verses say, you know, if you look good in the mirror, then these things are true about you. None of them say, if you feel like this is true, then they're true. These verses are true. It doesn't matter how you feel. That's what Scripture declares. And in fact, you know when I said earlier that if you have the perspective that you're only valuable when you feel valuable, that that's the wrong perspective, this is the right perspective. You are valuable. You are all these things when you are in Christ. They state that in Christ you are valuable and I am valuable. They declare the truth. So that changes the perspective. What is the perspective? The proper perspective is that if I'm in Christ, these verses tell me I'll live forever with him. I'm an eternal being and so are you. Contrary to what some are teaching nowadays, we are all eternal beings. Scripture teaches very clearly there is, there is an eternity that awaits all of us. And we will spend that eternity in one place or the other. Heaven and hell are very real places. Scripture makes that clear. The Christian Missionary Alliance states that in their statement of faith. This is what it says. It says that those that have accepted Christ will live in everlasting joy and bliss. And those that have not believed will forever live in conscious torment. Heaven and hell are real places. And we will spend all of eternity in one place or the other. That gives us a perspective on this life. We might live 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. You know, some people only live a few days or 17 or 18 years or 40. At most, a few people maybe live 100 years, but that's a, a small portion of, of eternity because what Scripture tells us is that we will all live for tens of thousands of years and thousands more after that. For all eternity, we will live. That's the truth of Scripture. It tells us that we are valuable. It tells us that we will live forever. And it tells us that this life 
is just a small portion of our life. In James chapter 4, James says that life is like a vapor. He, he compares it to a mist. He says it rises up and then it's gone like that. That's what our life is on this earth in comparison to all eternity. And we will live for all of eternity. So that's the proper perspective. And, and so what that leads us to understand is looking into this mirror and looking into our garages to see what we have and looking into our closets to see what we have in order to determine our value, that's the wrong perspective. The right perspective is what this mirror tells us. We are children of God. We are valuable. Very different messages that we get from our culture and from God's word. If you're here this morning, I want you to understand how valuable you are. And these verses are a part of that. And I want to show you a quick video that will help you understand that as well. Take a look at this video to see how valuable you are. I am created in the image of God. I am created in the image of God. I am a child of God. A child of God. I am a child of God. For you created my inmost being. My inmost being. And knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am pursued by God. I am pursued by God's love. Others look at the outside. Others look at the outside, but God looks at my heart. I have not been forgotten. I was bought with a price. I was bought with a price. I'm a new creation. I am a new creation. I have a plan and a purpose. I have a plan and a purpose. I'm worth dying for. I am worth dying for. I am worth dying for. I want you to hear this very clearly. You are worth dying for. Jesus Christ died for you. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, all these things are true about you. Pull these out one more time. There's one blank on there. I don't want to see these in the seats when you leave. I don't want to see them in the trash. I want you to take these home, and I want you to put them somewhere where you'll see them on a regular basis. Maybe the mirror somehow seems appropriate. And I want you to read them this week and next week and the week after, and I want you to praise God for the value that you have. Down at the bottom it says, I just have one blank because I didn't want you to work too hard this morning. It says, am I worth it? And I want you to take a pen, a sharpie if you've got one, and I want you to write, yes. Because you are worth it. Jesus Christ gave his life for you. That's how valuable you are. And I want you to know this morning, if you're not a believer, and you're not even sure what that means, I want you to know God loves you. Because that's what that verse says. It says, while we were sinners, while we were apart from him, separated from him, when we didn't know him, Christ died for you. He loves you. 
And as in, in a few moments when everyone is dismissed, it goes that direction. If you don't know Christ, if you're not a believer, if you're not even sure what that means, well, I just ask you to come forward and talk to me, talk to some others that will be here, just so we can explain that to you, so that we can show you how these things, all of them, can be true about you today, this morning. And if you're here this morning, and you're a believer, and you, and you know these things, but you've had a, a tough time applying them to your life, you've had a tough time believing them, then I, I invite you as well, that as others leave, you come forward this morning so that we can talk with you, so that we can pray for you, we can pray over you, we can show you through God's word how valuable you really are. So I want you to do that now. As everyone else leaves, thank you for being here this morning. You are, you are free to go. Remember as you go, you're redeemed, you're bought with a price, you're forgiven, you're a child of God if you're a believer. Praise God for that. And if, if, if you have any questions, please come forward this morning. Have a great Sunday.